0: We're glad to see you. I think we're going to give another minute or so here. We're a little bit early. You're going to hear squeaks and bobbles and such because we're moved to my living room. Sometimes we call this the guitar room, um, but there's a lot more in here than guitars. But We are here. uh, Let's see. I think we're close enough to 9.30. And those of you that turn in late can always back it up and have a look we are uh, in my living room today and we are so glad to have you here as our guest in our home Uh, our safe harbor is a very flexible church it is a very rapid response church it has to because we have a very very thin front line a few of you might remember a couple of weeks ago it was just misha and i on the stage for the music and i brought up how thin and vulnerable that line can be when I had twisted a finger the, the day before, just carrying out some bags into the garage uh, garage for Colonials, and it would, had swollen somewhat, and we put ice on it and got it down, and so I was able to play, but we were one garbage bag away from not being able to have the music we had planned for for well over a week. That's how thin that line is, and is not with us today and we have two of our team members down with COVID. They are all. They were vaccinated, they were double boosted. They've had four shots, each of them. But Dave and Barb are down with COVID and that, that's a real problem. Whenever Dave's the one who knows how to do the cameras and sound and the others that work with him are either not available today because they're out of town or just not available for other reasons. So we're hoping one day that we will be able to build a deeper line there, a deeper bench, to use a sports metaphor. But we are grateful that we have this at all. And then we have it because of your gifts, your prayers, your super kind emails and text, your encouragement when you check in, as we hope many of you will. And, and if you don't know what check-in means, if you're watching on a device, like an iPad or an iPhone or an Android, under the screen somewhere you'll see a for live chat click here you can click there and in live chat tell us where you're watching from you don't have to give an address just a city and a state we don't want you to give away your privacy online any more than necessary but there again we are here because of your your love and because of your gifts so whenever we have something like this happen and we're kind of thrown into a a bit of a tizzy we uh we don't want just to replay an old worship we want to do something else and so today it's just me in the living room so let me give you an idea of uh, the order of worship we're going to start with the sermon and then the the sermon when it ends will blend right into the communion after the communion and you're getting fair warning here if the voice is up to it uh, and we're not taking a vote on that but if the voice is up to it then i will do a couple of songs very simple songs for us and we'll close with a prayer so that gives you the warning the chance to bump out before i sing and uh, terrify the children and small pets all right so we are in a series about stories and i love stories and i've got so many of these from scripture that we could go on forever but we'll go on for a bit and next week's story is perhaps one of my top two favorites so tune in to that one please and by the way we may still be stripped down because of a thin line and when one's out of place it does change things and when two are out of place it really changes things but we will be here we will find a way to deliver to you the chance to learn more about scripture about love about life and as a chance to talk to and about god all right so as i've said about the stories and i'll do this most sundays there were uh, stories over the radio were the big thing in breton for the longest time and there are still periods of time that that occurs around christmas or other holidays and that wonderful voice of the announcer would call all the children together around the wireless, the radio, and then say, are you seated comfortably? Then I'll begin and I will begin, but I'm going to begin this story with somebody else's story. This is a story from Tony Campolo, uh, a uh, a minister, a writer, a speaker of some great repute over the last several decades and for good reason. And I really love this story. Kind of, but it's a better story than any story that's ever happened to me. So I've got to use Tony's story. Tony was speaking at a small Pentecostal college. And right before he went on, eight preachers wanted to pray for him with their hands on his head. Now, I've had this experience many times, not so much with the head, but hands on someone. And before I leave or before I speak at a place, it's always a blessing, but there's a backside to the blessing. The prayers go on a bit and they eventually leave the subject, which is help Patrick get through this. And they go off into other areas that Patrick doesn't know anything about. And the same with Tony. This is true about every speaker who gets prayed over or for. And these were older men. And Tony's down. They've got hands on his head and they're getting tired as they're praying, but they're still going and they're leaning. And so he's he's being pushed down there then they start talking about stuff that had nothing to do with him. To Tony's best recollection, he said, Dear Lord, one of the men said, Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile, the one on the right hand side. And Tony's thinking, you're giving directions to God about which trailer? But he kept quiet, obviously. The, the man went on, he's going to leave his wife and three kids. <clears throat> step in and do something god well the event is done <clears throat> tony gets in his car and gets on the pennsylvania turnpike which if you've never been on it it's long many potholes so he's he's driving down the road and he picks up a hitchhiker uh, he says hi you know he gets in and says hi my name's tony campolo hitchhiker said hi my name is charlie stolfus really well, Tony didn't give any sign until the next exit, when he got off, went over the overpass and started heading back. The hitchhiker, obviously, Charlie, is getting very uneasy here and says, what are you doing? And Tony says, I'm taking you home. And he goes, why? And Tony says, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? And immediately Charlie's eyes go like this and he hits the door just kinda what is going on never took his eyes off tony tony drove right to the trailer park right to the silver trailer that was on the right hand side charlie's eyes are bulging and he goes how did you know i lived here tony just said god told me he said come in when he opened his trailer door his wife cried out with joy you're back you're back and he whispered. Charlie whispered something in her ears and her eyes got bigger and bigger. Tony stepped into the trailer and spoke with both of them with real authority. He said, you two sit down. I'm gonna talk to you and you're going to listen. And they sat down and they listened. And that afternoon, they made a profession of faith in Christ and pledged to be faithful to him and to each other. What a story. It's a true story. And that's why I said, I don't have any story like this. This is an unusual story, and I love this story, but also don't like it much. You know why? Because I believe in prayer. And I believe that prayers are answered. But most of the time, nothing like this. This is not the norm. And it bothers me. We all have a lot of prayers that go nowhere as far as we can tell. And don't start with that whole nonsense of trying to defend God. God does not need your defense here and jumping in and saying, Oh, they were answered. God just said no, or wait a while, or I got something better. We don't know any of that in our hearts. And so we're praying desperately for a situation or a person. And sometimes we don't get the happy walking into the trailer, sit them down. They profess faith in Christ moment. This is a grown-up church, our safe harbor is. We don't feel like we need to say the old platitudes that made people feel better, but somewhere down deep, we all knew it wasn't better. This is a grown-up church, so we can speak freely. I have no idea why God went out of his way for Charlie Stolfus, and so many times, not for us. What was so special about Charlie? Why didn't God, I don't know, heal the missionary's wife or return the wayward son or shut the mouths of the slanderers that ruined your reputation or mine? Why didn't he leap in there and stop Vladimir Putin from launching a war? Why didn't you? we could go on like this all day and you know it because our prayers often don't seem to be doing much. Since the beginning of time, there are those that have felt that they have figured God out, uh, that they, they know exactly how to get from God what they want. And they've written books on how to, how, how to get God to do what you want, to find secret prayers or secret codes in the Bible. Remember the prayer of Jabez a couple decades back? I sure do. I don't know how many copies of that book were given to me saying, we found a key. This works brilliant. We've tried it. Why aren't you hearing much about that today? It's because it didn't. There's no magical prayer that will make God do what you want him to do. Some think they've tamed God with precision obedience and worship, precision doctrine, or precision this, that, or the other. So we've done all these checkboxes, therefore, we get salvation. But there's a book in the Bible that should make us pause and think a bit about why God does what he does and why we'll never quite understand it, but why we're supposed to be faithful anyway. It's important, this book. This book is so important, the book of Jonah, that um, many people believe it is God's broadside blast against racism or exclusivism. I'm, I'm not sure. That's certainly in there. Absolutely. By the way, it's also in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 10, both of which have many laws, but some of the laws say you treat the stranger as if you would treat your neighbor. The foreigner among you must not be persecuted, but must be helped and loved as if they were a a Jew, a a neighbor. So um, God is very interested in, in breaking down walls between us and any other group, whether it's racism or some other situation that has divided us. This, there's a reason this book is in here, to the point where um, it has become so important to the Jews that over the centuries the Jews have a tradition of reading this book out loud together and then saying at the end, I am Jonah. In other words, I'm the one who ran. I'm the one who considers myself worthy and others unworthy and I need to be chastised for that. Well, so what's a book about? It's not about a fish. It's not about a whale. Uh, make the main thing the main thing, and the main thing's not the whale. I was just up in Alaska for the first time, only in Southeast Alaska. We have uh, members in Alaska that I would love to come and, and see and love to see more of your amazing state. And We saw whales off to the side, and i've heard all my life people say well a whale can't swallow anything bigger than this little thing because and they really can't i their throats are super tiny they they live off of krill and so people say that's a. and then other people say well it's it's just a big fish and really the word does mean a big fish a big sea creature i used to teach what i'd been told and that is that when jesus talked about it he used the word for whale that's really not true. Uh, it's, he just used a word for a big sea creature too, but that's not what the book's about. Can we can we move on past the fish? We'll talk about the fish. I promise we will. But there's something else in here, and it's it's not the fish, and it's not even his sermon. His sermon is is eight words, uh, six in in some versions, forty days, and none of us shall fall. That was it. It wasn't. Hey, I'm really sorry for you. You know, it's going to be a bummer. It wasn't even, a you need to turn and now follow the great God and here's why. It was just, you guys got 40 days and you're done. And it's not about Jonah per se, because Jonah never said, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Jonah had no intention of being sent or called by God. He heard the call very plainly to go to Nineveh. And he took the first transport in the opposite direction. I've, I've done that same thing all my life. My interest have been in science and in history and in some areas of, of those two, and uh, some music as well, uh, playing, not singing. And yet God has always cracked my head around and shoved me toward ministry. And I, I understand what it's like to receive the call of God and try to catch the next whale going in the next direction. It doesn't doesn't work any better for me than it did for Jonah, by the way. But there's another problem here. Remember Charlie Stolphus? Why is God doing this for Nineveh? Aren't there other cities out there? And the fact is, Nineveh was known for being a hate-filled, brutal uh, seat of power and as a great enemy of God's people. And that's really important. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? These stories keep showing up in scripture for a reason. all the spies sent into Jericho, uh, all the spies sent, sent across rather into Canaan, only two came back saying, we can take it, Joshua and Caleb, and Caleb was not a Jew. So one of these others, one of these people that the Jews thought they were supposed to despise because they were better than the other, and by the way, that's not a Jewish trait, that's a human trait, Christians do the same. Americans do the same British do the same feeling like what we want right now is more important than what they want. You know, I just spent a lot of days in a crowded area and I can tell you that people to this very day have no issue bumping into you, cutting in front of you, jumping into the elevator you were waiting for or whatever, because we're more important than that person. Right? So what's so important about that person that God is giving Nineveh all of this? Well, We do need to look at the story Jonah hops on a ship going the other direction but a great storm arises there's a lot of humor in this book a lot of things we don't really talk about the only people in this book who worship God are pagans the only people in this book that care about others are the pagans the storm comes And all the pagan sailors, they are praying to their gods, trying to get the storm to to go away, but it's not working. So they're throwing things overboard to lighten the load so that their their craft will ride higher and not be so easily swamped by the waves. When Jonah, cheerful Jonah, says, well, I'm your problem. It's your gods aren't going to do anything because my god told me to go do something and I didn't. And I hopped on this boat. So it's my fault. You should throw me over. And the pagans go, we can't do that to you. The pagans were caring. They were loving. Jonah was a grump. He, there's no sign of any affection for anybody or anything in Jonah. The pagans are the nice guys in the book, which should leap out at us. If we would just quit looking at the fish for a while. Oh, but speaking of the fish, They finally relent and throw him over. And this great sea creature, which God had prepared, the scripture says, so we don't know what we're looking at here, swallows Jonah. Jonah, for the first time, turns to God, which you would do if you're in the belly of something uh, and you've got some time. (laughs) It's dark, stinky, and you're going to die. So he starts praying. And by the way, if you're wondering, is is this real or not? We're going to actually... deal with some of these stories in our Monday morning messages starting the first Monday in August. So please tune in because we're going to use this one as one of our first. All right. But the story is after three days and three nights, the whale throws up Jonah because the whale couldn't stand Jonah either. Jonah then goes to Nineveh. Now, this is the story that I would have liked. This is not the Bible story, but this is a story I would have liked that the whale swims around for three days and three nights, getting to Nineveh, a bunch of fishermen on the shore. Whale gets up, spits out a scarred, pail washed with acidic juices, seaweed hanging off of him, Prophet, And he's standing there kind of shaky and wild, looking at him and going, repent, and they do. That would have been a fantastic story. That's the story that I pretty much had in my head as a boy, until I got maps, there's no sea creature getting anywhere near Nineveh. In fact, Jonah was on the shore and now, wounded, twisted, he would have had joint issues, skin issues, eye issues the rest of his life, has to limp his way all the way up to the gates of Nineveh. And that's going to take him a while, maybe a month, maybe two. By the time he finally gets there, do you think his mood has improved? That would be a no. He gets to Nineveh, looks up and sees the city gates. We still have the city gates. Nineveh was very good about carving and keeping their gates going. You know what was, you know what the city symbol was? A great sea creature It's carved over the top of the gate that Jonah had to go through. <laughs> Good one God. You know you know that Jonah saw that and went oh, and you know, made that kind of um, Yosemite Sam cursing uh, from the old Looney Tunes. So he preaches that sermon forty days and then of shall fall. but it's not about the sermon. It's not about the preacher. It's God at work when God chooses to. Now God does not stomp through the universe which is something I would like for him to do from time to time. But I don't want him to ever stomp me. So that makes me a hypocrite. You know, I want him to stomp those that are lesser than me or worse than me. And and I'm just being honest here. I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody. Because the fact is, I know that's true of you as well. We, we always feel like our sins are understandable. God should judge us on the basis of our intentions. Other people should be judged on the basis of their actions. First time I realized that hit me like a 2 before to the forehead. Oh, well. God's holiness demands that he does not force us in any direction. But he opens doors. He pushes a little. But if we push back, we might end up like Paul when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, it's kind of hard to keep pushing against my goad that's pointing you in another direction? Well, God hears the people's cries in Nineveh, which is interesting because they had never been to the temple. They didn't even know his name. They knew nothing of Levitical law or Deuteronomic law in history. And yet, whenever they repented, God heard their cries. God's more merciful and more loving than we give him credit for. And I really believe we need to start giving him credit. We see this in the life of Christ. We see love, mercy, kindness, grace, are his go-tos in any situation. It's not something he has to sit back and get to. It's his go-to. So, let me grab my Bible here. In in Jonah chapter three, I always grin when I talk about Jonah, because I am so much like Jonah, and so many people I know are like Jonah we we just need to read this ever so often and say i am jonah when god saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways he relented it did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened so god had some flexibility built into the plan here he was um he was ready to say okay all right Uh, this is what was going to happen but since you have changed this will now happen instead you see Those people who believe that God has pre-planned every moment and every movement of every atom until the end of time have a problem with Jonah and many, 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 many passages in Scripture. God is the one who said, come, let us reason together. He wants us to work with him to shape the direction of the future. Now, Jonah doesn't go, woohoo, I'm a great prophet, look at this. Instead, he's really upset with this outcome. After all, he has gone through. After all, he has suffered. After all, he will continue to suffer. The Ninevites are going to be okay. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Okay, okay, we got to, we got to talk about this is saying, I knew this was a worthless trip because you're going to forgive people anyway. I knew that I could have just stayed home. Why did you call me? Why did you allow the, the ship, the fish, the trip, the scarring, when all you're going to do is forgive them anyway? You could have had a local say 40 days and none of a should fall because this is just like you going around forgiving people. I. If you can read Jonah without laughing and without being a little uneasy when you look in the mirror, I don't think you've read the book. God cares about the people. God cares about the situation. Now stranded at Nineveh, Jonah sits under a vine that God had caused to grow and give him shade. There's no indication Jonah ever realized that vine was a gift from God. I had dinner McCammy and I did in Victoria on on Vancouver Island, British Columbia with Daniel Patstone this week. And he's one of my favorite people. Some of my other favorite people wanted to come and couldn't meet it, but Daniel was there and we talked about God's will and talked about God's gifts. And I told him, you know, I'm not gifted at seeing God coming and I'm not really gifted in seeing God at work in the present. I see God mainly in the rearview mirror. I think that's probably true of a lot of us. And maybe if Jonah had been given time to think, he would have realized, you know, even in that, I did have a shady place. God let me have a shady place. Well, look what happens here. Verses 10 and 11 is God's response to what happens to Jonah. Because Jonah loves his vine, but hates the people. So God sends a worm to kill the vine and now old scarred, old broken Jonah is sitting there in the heat. He says, again, God comes to him and says, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? And Jonah goes, I'm so angry. He goes, yes, it is right. It is right to be angry about this plant. And I'm so angry. I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, although you did not tend it and make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have more concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? (laughs) Love that last bit. I'll explain why in a bit. God has tended and raised the very people that you consider a problem, that you consider it's okay to attack, that you consider lesser than you. God raised and tended them. Isn't it okay for God to be as concerned about them as we are about the gardens or jobs or families or lives we have tended and grown? And then he throws in that, they got animals too. In fact, in the King James Version, it says, and many cattle, The word's more general than that. It does mean more than just cattle. But I love that because that was also used by the Cohen brothers in their classic movie, Uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? When uh, Machine Gun Kelly machine guns down some cows and one of the simple character goes, Oh George, not the livestock. That entire movie was a take on the, um, the Iliad and the Odyssey plus scripture and Holy Spirit. Um, If you don't know that, watch it again. Uh, The old African-American on the handcart is the Holy Spirit. See if that doesn't change the way you see the movie. Regardless, what about, you like cows, Jonah? Should they die? What does he mean when he says, these people don't know the right hand from the left? They didn't get the law. They didn't get the gospel. They've not heard of Jesus. They've not had the opportunities you've had, Jonah. Shouldn't I care about them? There is a problematic scripture. I'm going to read it out of Romans chapter 9. It is, um, it's pretty scary, really, if I'm being honest. Starts back at verse 11, talking about Rebecca and their twins. Yet before the twins were born or didn't done anything good or bad, In order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by Him who calls, remember the calling of God, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's out of the Bible. That's in the book of Malachi, chapter 1. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For He says to to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Super hard to grasp, and it's so very hard not to wonder sometimes why God makes it work this way. I'm going to raise the microphone. It slowly goes down. Sorry for any extraneous noises. You're in my living room so noises happen why don't christians win the lottery more often now i'm saying that without any ability to know how many christians have actually won the lottery so i'm speaking out of a great vast abyss of ignorance here but it would seem to me that if a bunch of devoted believers were winning 10 million 100 million 500 million routinely and then using that to found great hospitals to treat people free or to do great acts of charity. And and it would hit the news. I would think it would hit the news. I don't know why. I don't know why Christians don't get showers of blessing that they want, but rather the ones that God sends us. I even gifting your in your life. God does not give you the gifts you want. He gives you the gifts he needs you to have. And he doesn't even arrange the life you want. He rather arranges the life he needs you to have. Now you can opt out, but you might end up in a fish for part of the journey, but he won't force you into heaven, but he also won't agree with you and dislike who you dislike and hate who you hate and ignore who you ignore. That is not in his nature. God is God, and we are not. And that's not always a comfortable thought, again, if we're being honest. We want to understand the story, <clears throat> and we want to tell it our way. But God is going to tell this story. By the way, about Nineveh, it would later be destroyed by God, Is referenced in that tiny book of Nahum, chapters two and three. Like Nebuchadnezzar and others in scripture, those who repented, seemed to not repent for long and returned back to their evil. And that leaves us with the story of Charlie Stolfus. Why does God choose and care about this one and not the other one? Why does he leap to respond to one prayer and not the other? If we don't know what will happen when we pray, why pray? First of all, I pray because Jesus prayed. And if Jesus thought it was a good idea, It's a good idea. So I'll pray. Not all of Jesus's prayers were answered either. He prayed that this cup, this suffering would pass from him, but it didn't. He prayed in John 17 for the unity of all believers That hasn't happened yet, but he still prayed. Second, I think prayer changes me over time. The longer I pray about any particular issue, the more I find myself nudged away from my original viewpoint, not always. If it's about, <clears throat> let's say, a child with cancer, you're going to have a hard time moving me off that one. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> going to have a refreshing beverage with pictures of my grandsons on there. There you go. <clears throat> it won't help. I'll still sound awful, but I will be hydrated. Third, I'm really glad that all prayers aren't answered. I uh, I prayed for many things that had they had God said yes, my life would have been awful in retrospect. At the time I was mad at God. And if you're mad at God, go ahead and tell him, because he's God, he, he he knows. So um go ahead and tell him. So what do you do? I think we should look at unanswered prayers as God knows what He's doing and answered prayers as thank you God. Our prayers aren't there so that we can forcibly change other people's moods or opinions. They have the right to make their own decisions, for good or for ill. We can't change them against their will by praying against them. God even gives Ninevites options and He gives those to us. God sees the far side of our prayers. He knew more about Esau than we'll ever know, and so he chose Esau's twin. He has our best interest in mind, but it might not always work out for our best on earth. He takes a longer view, and while we pray often in a panic, God is not panicked. When Jonah prayed inside the fish in terror, God was not terrorized because he knew Jonah was not going to stay there. Jonah didn't know that. But God did. I prayed for my grandfather when he became very, very ill. We had just moved to America. And my little daughter, was just a two or maybe almost a three year old by this stage. And she would pray for her grandfather, uh, her grandfather Mead. And then one day I got the call that my grandfather had passed. My little girl ran as she usually did and jumped in our bed in the morning. And I said, you know how we've been praying that your granddad would feel better, your great granddad would feel better. And she said, yes. I said, God answered the prayer. He feels a lot better now. Most of us can understand that story because we're people of faith and we believe in a better life. But at the moment, the week before he passed, we might have been sitting there going, what's the point of this? Now we can say, thank you, God. We have a short view span. His is long. Our job is to pray, love, and go when called to. What happens next is God's job. I am Jonah. Don't assume that our enemies don't deserve grace while we're counting on grace. For the same grace offered to us is offered to all. With that, let's transition.